Hello everyone and welcome to Autism Stories. I'm your host Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience and Autism Stories is where we interview autistic people and others in the autism community to learn from their stories, experiences, and get their advice. I remember reading once the definition of knowledge is love and light and vision. On this episode of Autism Stories, I thought back to that during my conversation with Hunter Hansen. Hunter shares with us his love, light, and vision as he talks about the ways in which you can learn from autistics and how to best work with them instead of against them. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Hunter, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Wanted to start out, start out a lot on these podcasts with asking, where does your story in the autism community begin? So, well, my autism story does begin a lot earlier. Jumping into the community, it was May 2018. Uh, my second daughter had just been born, and uh, I enjoyed some some time on new parent leave, which which is good and bad. It's good because I like the break. I don't sleep. I got a baby. Uh, but it can be a little rough because it is a very unroutine break, and when you couple that with sleep deprivation, it tends to just play some tricks on your mind. Uh, kind of occurred at a low point in my life, and frankly, it was probably the nadir of my happiness, uh, depression, and kind of as a catharsis, I thought, you know what, I need to start writing. I have spent so much of my adult life hiding, obfuscating, I didn't know it was masking, <laughs> you know, trying to completely cover the fact that I was autistic, that I just thought, what if I was more open with myself to everybody? and just shared a narrative. And so I wrote The Life Autistic, episode one, with a picture of me at Great Sand Dunes National Park. I blitzed out a bunch of topics I wanted to write about, and now we're here. And I've learned that I am not alone. Best thing I've learned is that there is a ton of like diversity in the autism community. It's not just dudes. It's like driven by some amazing women and people of color. So it's just amazing how unique, diverse, interesting, and welcoming like I felt so much less alone and the hyper vulnerability didn't have the negative effects I thought it would so here we are man we keep trucking keep vlogging and keep doing videos and that's where it began and thus it shall continue mm -hmm. well I love the life autistic and that's how I learned Thanks. about you through your blog before I get to kind of talk about some of the great things that you've written that I've really enjoyed I wanted to know if there was any particular kind of blog entry or two that really stands out to you that, that has some special meaning? Yeah, I. it's funny because when you put content out, you don't really know exactly where it's going to resonate and how people are going to find it. I, I do find it curious that my most popular topic that actually is like a front pager on Google is, you know, working for a boss on the spectrum because I find that just to be the most incongruous thing. Like normally it's all the neurodiverse people who are the ones being employed, but rarely is it, oh, my boss is actually like the shot caller and organizational leader. Then the search terms, it's just, it's funny. So that's like an attractional post. Um, and I enjoy that because I, that was a deep and personal experience that reflected, a, you know, kind of a pinnacle of a career journey of mine. 
but also where my employees had no idea I was autistic. And it's like, hey, surprise, your boss is. I would say, though, the ones that resonate with me were, um, they didn't perform so well. I'm a little bummed, but it's a series that I wrote in four parts called Autistic Professional Confessionals. And I share four different episodes from my working life. And that's when I got more into storytelling mode where I felt like I could do more long-form stuff without, I try to keep them pretty brisk because people don't read, so none of them go over 500 words. It's always a one- to two-minute read because, like me, I don't have time for anything. So it's <laughs> like I can borrow two minutes of your time to get more educated and entertained about autism. But those those were three-minute reads, and I enjoyed writing them, and I enjoyed telling some of those stories and reliving. Um, so it's a bit older, but I... Those are the ones that had special meaning to me because it was a joy to revisit that narrative and what it was like just being autistic and navigating very different professional landscapes to shape what I do today. It's interesting you mentioned that about certain ones that you thought were going to perform you know, well. Like there's, there's been certain episodes that I've put out on Autism Stories that I thought, oh, we're going to have a, we're going to have a ton of listens. And then there's yeah. others where I was like, oh, I don't know how many people we're going to get. And it just is really surprising to me. I hope your expectation for this is that nobody listens, so that way, you know, we can you know, hopefully get like one or two. But, a million in the um, first hour it's released. No, please. I, I'd be scared <laughs> if a million people discovered, like, oh my god, I remember Hunter. He's terrible. So, I, I'm with you as a creator, but, you know, I kind of go back to where you just, they can't all be home runs. They can be some good singles. I run another enterprise, and it's like, you get your deep cuts, you create what you enjoy, you create stuff that it's like, I didn't feel as great about this, but people love it. And if you just do your best, spit out good content, you know, it, it kind of evens out at the end. I've yeah. Now you mentioned on the homepage of The Life Autistic that your blog's about stories from the spectrum. Why do you think stories from autistic people are so important and essential in being shared? I think it's because we, for whatever reason, don't control our narrative. Um, I think it is mostly written by people who are allies, associates, or parents of autistic people. That's not wrong, but that's not the story. I was thinking about this, like, what if blind people weren't the ones writing about blindness? That doesn't make sense, and you'd almost feel that's offensive. It's like, well, here's how I think blind people, or imagine what it's like being blind, or here's my experience with blind person or blind gal. And then you, it begs the question, like, what's their framework? They're blind. They can talk. They can speak. And I think we get this notion of autism as this, you know, people feel differently about the puzzle piece, but it's like, you know, some of us are very verbal, some too much so, myself included, to where, like, why are we not giving that agency back? And this is what's really captivated me as an adult to where that tide's going to turn, and it's not going to be, like, autistic, you know, not that it's bad, and I don't want to demean people who are well-meaning, but... Like, this is, this is our neurodivergence. We own it. We get to share it. it. There's no mystery about it. Like, we'll tell you. Like, I'll explain. Hey, here's why I think and react the way I do. Like, it's just you don't want to listen. You want to listen to people who are like you talking about others. So I mine is just kind of that very ferocious and impassioned stab about reclaiming that story torch and narrative for ourselves because, you know, in 20 years, when you hear about autism, it should be from autistic people, direct from the source, primary, not like a secondary account of it. 
I always talk about how autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience. Right. I know. It's it's ours. You know, I, I joke that in parenting sometimes that experience does not expertise make. But when I'm speaking about autism, I, I tell people that I'm going to speak from my autistic experience, and that is my expertise. I'm not a clinical psychologist. I haven't done a lot of, you know, peer-reviewed studies, etc. But I don't need that. I live it. <laughs> like, I can, I can tell you it, I can explain it, and I'm kind of okay at articulating it to, you know, where regular people can understand it from that lens there. So, yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. And how can people go about reading The Life Autistic? And also, I saw recently, you're on YouTube. Yep. So the YouTube thing was, uh, I'm excited about that. I don't want to say like it's taken off, but picking up 500 subscribers in less than four weeks was like really surprising and humbling. Uh, Thelifeautistic.com, so you can find everything there. I've written for years. My degree is in English, so I like to get some practice kind of, you know, getting a, a twice a week cadence. But if you look for Hunter Hansen, The Life Autistic on YouTube, uh, you'll find my channel and me and my wild hair plastered on thumbnails. So if you uh, if you enjoy reading, check the blog. If you enjoy watching videos, check out the YouTube channel. And then that'll link you to the you know, more visual stuff on Instagram, the rants on Twitter and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's how you go about that. So in addition to your blog, you're a business analyst. I'm wondering, has what's been the response from coworkers that have uh, read the Life Autistic? I am. I joke about it being an open secret at my company. I don't bring it up, but I'm very active on LinkedIn, and I will post. And it's become a code, like, oh, hey, I, I read your stuff on LinkedIn, or you know, hey, I, I read your blog every day. You know, when we're talking about in, <laughs> intense social situations, so it has. It's been overwhelmingly positive. I've had some people who they've ranged from like, I had no idea you were autistic. I just thought you were super intelligent. I'm like, no, I just remember a lot of things and use big words. But people love that I'm sharing. It adds perspective. And then others who you know have autistic children, like I've I've gotten some profound emotional responses. You know, like you give me hope. Like I feel like my kids can have a really great life. I mean. You know, even in like, you know, faith communities, people saying like your writing has been an answer to prayer. And like for me, that that's like, I don't even know how to handle that kind <laughs> of compliment. But I, I mean, it's immeasurably humbling because I, I have kind of a work persona and just being able to put my true self out there to where like, hey, I might be H2 at work, but then people know like he's not afraid to share what's going on, what really affects him. You know, he may have done like a really great job in this presentation, but I know this guy puts on a good show and it's super stressful. So I've, I thought it would doom me and, you know, crater my career, but instead it's given me a lot of audience for our inclusion and diversity efforts at work and has opened up a lot of doors to, you know, advocate for others here as well. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm humbled and yeah, it comes up. It's always positive and it's always kind of embarrassing, but we get over that. So I'm wondering about the connection for you being a business analyst and a blogger in maybe or in some ways you're trying to tell stories in both roles. Oh man, that's I'm glad you picked up on that cuz I I joke that I'm not a great storyteller, but I think after a while you just think of like narrative memories and color those with enough big words that it sounds fun. 
But that is, it's funny because as a business analyst, I have to demystify that role for people who I work with and who I'm like training that I'm not a numbers guy. (laughs) I majored in English and in history to avoid taking maths in college, which I was successful in doing, right? So people think like, oh my gosh, Hunter must be like, you know, this data numbers geek. And I am not. I'm anything but, but I do enjoy the insights and the narratives and I'll use catchphrases like it's not what the data is telling us. It's what the data is telling us to do, you know, or snarkily, Hey, data don't lie or this ain't (laughs) me. It's the data that shows the opportunity. It was part, you know, I'll share this. It was part of, because me being me autistic and weird, nobody listened to my ideas on the surface of their own merit. But when I got into a role to where I say, you know, X percent of this is causing this, and here's what we can do about it. I had a much better outlet for my creativity when it is backed by hard data. And I loved it because it wasn't, oh, Hunter, you know, you're weird, and I don't get it. It's more of, look, I've checked this data six ways, and, you know, six ways to Sunday, or however the expression goes. Like, I'm not, I'm not wrong, <laughs> you know? And, you know, it's good to get that impact and share a story and give a narrative and I've enjoyed being able to do that in a discipline that is respected. It's growing. It has some esteem. And frankly, it's a challenge for me. It's an ongoing way to build my strength in a field that isn't like writing and talking. <laughs> so it's good. And um, yeah, the two dovetail really nicely. And I'm, I'm glad I can share business stories in my business and personal stories, you know, in my uh, personal life. Mm-hmm. One interesting blog you wrote was about five easy ways to work with autistic people. You mentioned a key point how autistic people are more different than difficult to work with, which I think is a really important point. And it's about how you approach the relationship. Where do you think the stereotype comes from that autistic people may be difficult to work with? Yeah, I I think there's a selection of autistic or more autistic attributes that are unfairly perceived as uh, negatively. So one good example is just directness. You may have, like, if you look in the normal spectrum of behaviors, people who uh, you can call it like tactlessness, direct, critical, clinical, etc., those tend to veer more on like the negative side for a lot of you know people with emotions regular old humans right so they perceive that to go against the grain of well they're they're mean or they don't care and when people i'm gonna i'm just gonna extend the commentary most people don't really go into like this higher order thinking it's very emotionally response driven right and there's not a lot of positive intent assumed you know so one post I've, i've wanted to write was like you know, you can't be likable, you've got to be formidable. But what if you're not formidable? You know, then it's hard, because then you either, you're too direct, or in my case, you were, you know, circumlocuting through every answer, you're very labyrinthine with how you approach it. And then people think, oh, you're a snob, you use polysyllabic words that I don't understand. For the normal people, polysyllabic means big. Multiple syllables, whatever. Now, you now know. I know. But, <laughs> you know, it's like, I know you know, but it's one where, you know, again, people bristle when they feel attacked. Like, oh, this yeah. is too blunt. Or, oh, this is too big and I don't understand it. Like, from Batman Begins, people fear what they don't understand. But nobody likes to be afraid. So what do you do? You retreat to a position of attack. 
I'm not scared. They're wrong. I can be right and they're wrong. So you collect all that with the social aversions, the uh, difficulties we have in relating, being a team player, et cetera. And that all adds up to where this impression and stereotype comes out that they are difficult. The media doesn't help with this because it's, you know, you get like the savants who are cold and it's like, oh, we can work with this one guy because he's a genius and he can solve any medical case. But that's not representative of the autistic population. We're not all geniuses. We're not all savants. So what do you do with somebody who's an oddball who may be a little stiff and tries their best to be earnest, but, you know, they, they're on a different wavelength. So long answer, but, you know, I, I feel like it's a combination of things to where you hear autistic and you think of the negative differences. Oh, they don't understand sarcasm. They're too literal. They can be blunt. They don't know when to stop talking. They don't make eye contact. This is why we are sharing our stories to share, hey, here's what we do bring. We bring focus. We bring, you know, like a judicious use of words or exceptional thought, lateral thinking. And we've got a sea of advocates to where we just need to tsunami all this garbage, you know, stereotype out to where, oh, he's autistic. He's different. But here's where that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's not going to stay late at a party, but he'll stay late working to get stuff done for the team because, you know, he or she's not going to fail. Mm-hmm. What do you think some things are, some keys for neurotypical people that they can do to make it so that autistic people are actually quite easy to work with? I think, you know, I keep going back to the old tired phrase, but there's a lot of truth in cliche. Knowledge is power. You don't really know until you know. And, you know, even for me, I've learned more about how I can be better autistically accommodating. Like autism's a wide spectrum, right? You know, I'm I'm super comfortable in front of cameras these days. Not everybody is. Um, I'm okay with hugging people. I joke about it. Like I got a quota, but I'm okay with some limited physical contact. I don't mind. I just kind of switch it off for a little bit, and it's stressful, and I decompress later. For other people, that's a no go. I can kind of do eye contact for a bit. So it's one where, like, when the more we get these things out into the ether. I think the more onus it is on neurotypical folks to understand, okay, when we're looking for group participating, you know, activities, like, you know, one example at work was just like brainstorm meetings and sessions. And I, I had to be very careful about saying like, I want to work with you, but I don't want to be in a room to where I always have to be talking. Mm -hmm. I like to focus, but if I do this and you all are there, I'm going to feel very self-aware and self-conscious. Like I'll get this deliverable done, but it suits my, my uh, idiosyncrasies, my more autistic level of awareness, focus, and how I choose to work. Uh, so that's like a big thing, just knowing like this person may not engage the same way with others. This person may need more specific directions. Like I need to be able to, to you know, meet people where they are, ask good questions. Hey, here's the general direction. Is there anything I can do to, you know, further help break it down? You know, here's the specifics. Are you good? Okay. And if I say I'm good, I'm good. But if it's, I need clarification, I don't want to feel like that's wrong. Another good example, I think just for like work is nobody likes surprises. I think even in general, (laughs) like when people say, Hey, you got a second, I almost want to say no. But if you say, hey, listen, I need to run this really interesting thing by you here. I may need your expertise, blah, blah, blah. Do you have a second to discuss? 
now I can process and I can take all the social anxiety out. I can assess what I want to say. I can start planning and framing, okay, here's the index of possibilities. If it's just, hey, you got a stack, or hey, can you jump on a call with me for the next five minutes? No, I'm going to like start panicking. And that's a neurotypical response too. You're, you're going to you know, get that with others. But for autistic people, it's that just on a live wire. Like, don't, don't do that. And then, yeah, social engagement, you know, prefacing, just again, being willing to listen. And then, you know, just finding like what, how do people want to work? What makes them comfortable? Am I giving them the space to opt in versus feeling like they have to opt out, which is uncomfortable. So, yeah, bevy of different things, but I think the more that, you know, autistic storytellers can kind of share this experience, then it's less of, hey, you need to bow to us and more of, here's all about us. I'm not going to tell you what you need to do because it's going to apply differently, but you work with people and some of those people are autistic people. You figure out where their needs are. You help, you know, and engage in that dialogue, just like we do with people of other disabilities of you know uh, sensory sorts it's, it's the same thing with you know neurological differences to where the same can be done from that end mm-hmm. now last month on autism stories i interviewed an autistic bodybuilder crystal raposa about how weightlifting yeah. has helped her and how it could help other autistics then i saw in preparing to talk with you about a blog that you wrote about a weightlifter's guide to autism, which I was excited to see. How do you see weightlifting yeah. as it applies to the autistic experience? You know, I'm glad you glad you brought that one up because this is this is like a pet, um, in a weird pet peeve. So part of it is like this is almost a little bit of like a obsession, special interest for me now that I've been cultivating. I you know, I, I kind of embarked on a very significant weight loss journey some years back and shed like a ton of weight, which was, which was great. And I've been trying to maintain that, but the weightlifting thing was more of like, I don't, I don't like being in front of people and working out. So I don't do gyms, never have. I don't like running. It takes too much time. I don't like, you know, involved cardio stuff, but I kind of rekindled an obsession with the world's strongest man competition. And since, you know, everything else had closed and I had some dumbbells, it's like, let me pursue this in earnest. I think it's amazing for autistic people because we, I don't feel like we are going to gravitate toward things like, you know, some people may be fans of this, but like the Peloton cult, my best friends are into Peloton and it just annoys me to no end because it's just like, you're doing this for the social aspect and the competitive stuff. Yeah. I don't do things for the social element, not like that. And I'm hyper competitive and that's not my end goal with fitness as the secondary. What if I just focused on something to where it's just me? I can listen to my music. I don't yeah. have people around me. I also think there's a, a stereotypical thing about like, you know, autistic geeks and nerds. Well, I want to be like, you know, an autistic dude with some, you know, good muscle mass who can withstand three children hanging on me, which they do, you know, to where like, I'm, I'm actively like physically training to bust an autism myth. We're not, we're not all like, you know, bespectacled folks and I wear glasses. We don't all have, you know, idiosyncratic styles and use big words, but people don't think like, wow, the dude, you know, power cleaning a ton of weight. Oh yeah. He must be one of those autistic folks. I you know, that's not my point to disrupt that stereotype, but I think it's it's good discipline. 
it's good to focus and you know it's like what a sound mind and a sound body you know i for all my mental maladies at the end of the day i think you know at least i can knock out dozens of push-ups mm-hmm. i have that so no matter how bad i feel you know i've trained and i've made progress and i've tracked it religiously because you can imagine being autistic it's really easy to journal stuff as an obsession like if i don't do this my routine will suffer what's nice is that if you keep lifting weights you get heavier you get stronger you know so it's like wow this has a lot of benefits here so i yeah it's just yeah it's like a good self-focused sport i think the kicker man that i only realized just recently uh fellow named tom stolman who's a competitor in the world's strongest man competition discussed his autism growing up and it was his outlet to where he could focus. His older brother's a strong man, so it's like, oh, it's so heartwarming. Like he has at least a, a somewhat familial uh, social connection to where he could just pour it into that obsession, and that gets him in a tribe of other hulking strongmen, like six foot eight. You know, like you know. So I don't know if that is me or sorry, but um, like can lift a ton, and it builds camaraderie. And I feel like you know, this is another good way to find a tribe compete against yourself, you know, be healthier, better. So yeah, like when I, I, I think there was another fellow who, um, Magnus Hedemark does some really great podcasting and had, mm-hmm. I think engaged either this or somebody similar. And I'm like, yes, like, yay, we get more like strong autistic people here, which is again, another bit of physical and, you know, uh, activity diversity among those with neurodiversity. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering a little bit, you talked about kind of competing against yourself. You know, our society is, I think, so much focuses on comparing ourselves to others. So I'm wondering, how does, like, does weightlifting help you in that, in that regard? You know, I think it's, it, for me, it evens the playing field because inherently everybody's goals are different. Everybody's body type is different. You know, I, for my weight, I'm not going to be able to do you know, like a 700 pound deadlift anytime soon. But for me to do something at a much more conservative weight is still a great achievement. So I can feel good about that. And others, you know, if I ever share this more broadly, could also feel good about that. And it is more, um, it's not adversarial, you know, and that's something like I've learned more about engaging in this. And I'm, I'm a far cry from a bodybuilder by any means. I just, I just do a lot of weight training. You know, whereas things like, you know, team sports can be tricky um, and some other things can just be a little too, again, like social, like CrossFit, you'll benefit from CrossFitting, but that becomes its own cult and then it becomes too popular. And mm-hmm. I have an aversion to popular things because I'm kind of wired to being unique and it's like, I I feel like I'm getting into it just to get into it and it's the wrong so I don't know. It's It kind of heightens more of what you do as an individual. And I think autistic people take pride in their individuality. So something that allows you to do an activity or a sport without the pressures of, I've got to beat this guy to be good. You just have to beat yourself and be a better version of yourself to be good without having to, you know, it's not a zero-sum game to where you put somebody else down to rise up. You just build on top of yourself. And, you know, as my wife sometimes will point out I'm a little too self-focused so when I take that in moderation that's nice to where I'm not training against somebody I'm training for me and I like that that's great and thinking about your future in terms of telling stories on the spectrum you just kind of started your YouTube channel not that long ago what what do you see the future for yourself in that regard 
I'm hoping I can keep doing this. I, I'm glad that just the way uh, my career has been shaping up, it's opened some pockets of time that have, you know, let me do a little bit more in the video domain. And I've just gotten feedback that like, hey, Hunter, believe it or not, you're kind of engaging in this medium. And I said, all right, fine, whatever, let's do it. Let's put my decade of practice in front of a camera <laughs> at virtual conferences to see what works. I am hoping to, you know, continue doing that because life happens, dude. I keep thinking I'm going to run out of topics and I get worried. And then I just think of like three more and it's just funny how random they are. And then as you continue to screw up in life, you can write about those episodes. So like even for videos, I'm thinking of like shattering autism myths, you know, like there's a lot of good ones that you can cover. Um, taking an autism test like I, I i would love to do a speed run of that and that would be a fun video fidget stims i've got a collection of those my whole chess stories about how it was probably a chess grandmaster when it came to chess history but not actually playing i mean that's autism in a nutshell like oh i'm obsessed with everything about chess but i'm a terrible player duh um you know, like, I think I wrote, OMG, I'm autistic. Now what? You know, because some people, it doesn't, they don't figure it out till later in life. And it's yeah. like, hey, great, you're an adult, and you found out you're autistic. What do you do next? Like, get a cheeseburger. I mean, your life's going to continue. But just being able to share perspectives from people who have yet to discover, have yet to articulate. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a dad. I have three young daughters. But they're all going to get older. They're going to add some family dynamics. As much as my life has a lot of structure and routine, that may not all exist. You know, I, you know, let's say I get into a weightlifting accident. I don't know how that happens, but yeah. So here's the life autistic and managing rehab or just dumb stuff or the life autistic gets a new puppy against his wishes. <laughs> so there's some good things that like I, I'm going to end up going into the well of what's going to happen, but I've had an interesting life. I've, you know, I've, I've grown up abroad. I've lived in Iceland. You know, I've been in different scenarios. I'm the oldest of five siblings. My family, my parents were Baptist missionaries. I went to one of the, uh, I think the Huffington Post named it one of the 10 strictest colleges in America. Mm -hmm. So like, there's a lot of really interesting and unique aspects of my life irrespective of autism but through an autistic lens it's like how did you snag a job with a de department of defense sub agency at age 15 you know getting paid by the government as your first job well that's interesting in its own right and let me <laughs> tell you how i did this autistically too so yeah it's like and i, I want to share some of that because it touches all walks like um, i don't know when this will air but i just recorded a video about like my review of different school settings for autistic kids. Dude, I've been to public school. I've been to private school. I've been to private Christian school. I've been homeschooled. I've been <laughs> no schooled. Um, all of them. I'm commenting on this from experience. Like, hey, if you want to know which one's best, I'll give you my take on all of them because I've been there. <laughs> so I just think like I can look back and pull from the vault. I can look to today and say, well, I had a podcast with Doug today. And I'm exhausted, and I only filled up my water tank to about half. And here's what it's like sharing your experience in a rapid-fire setting when you're about to get pizza. That happens. And in the future, hey, my daughter met her first bully, and I had to give her advice on how to handle it when nice. I didn't know how to handle it as a kid myself. You know, like I can train on how to do a, you know, a good right hook now, but is it right? How do you do, like, social navigation through 
your kids, you know? So there's, and yeah, they're a hoop, man. So they always add to the dynamics. It's just, it's great. And they can, again, they can have their own channel. And my parents, my family, they just watch it for my children cameoing on the videos. So they're really cute. And if you haven't watched them, I do encourage it because they are extremely, they're extremely cute, funny. And I look forward to them as uh, future guest stars before they finally take me down and you know give me the old King Lear heave ho and co-op the show for themselves somehow. But yeah, that's the future, but future stuff to predict. I've tried and, you know, uh, <laughs> I don't have much to show for it. Well, you, well, Hunter, you definitely are engaging, and I certainly encourage people to check out the Life Autistic and your YouTube channel. And I just really appreciate you making time for me today. Absolutely, man. Thanks for converting it to Mountain Time too, because I I understand that. It's like I'm, I'm glad it's not. Uh, I don't know where you're at, but knowing that this is in my time zone was a was a big help. So yeah, I'm at I'm at Eastern Time here in Ohio. Eastern Time. Yikes. Okay. Cool deal. <laughs> Thanks to everyone for listening, and thanks so much to Hunter for the conversation. To hear more from Hunter, check out the link in the podcast description of this episode for his YouTube channel, The Life Autistic. If you would like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also really appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. On the next episode of Autism Stories, we will talk with Bill Clifton Toll about amplifying the good in all of our lives. Talk to you then.